pray with me together. Father, we just thank you so much for this, this opportunity to open your word. Father, wherever we open your word, there is truth. Wherever we open your word, there is a word for us that speaks to our hearts. Wherever we open the Bible, there is your redemptive story being unfolded for us, Lord. Your heart, Jesus, all of it is everywhere in Scripture. So this morning as we open up 1 Samuel, we pray that, Lord, you will speak to our hearts and that you will encourage us, but most of all, that you will reveal Jesus to our hearts this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. First Samuel, returning to First Samuel this morning, chapter 16, if you'll turn that there with me. We'll have the words on the screen as well. <clears throat> Beginning in verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I want to pause there for a moment. Because I think it's worth noting that Samuel grieved over Saul. Saul was the first king. Samuel anointed him. Samuel, uh, Saul fell into sin, into rebellion, into pride. But I think it's worth noting that Samuel grieved over him. You know, when um, either someone, a believer we know, or a Christian, high-profile Christian falls, it's understandable to be disappointed and hurt. In some cases, when there's been deception or abuse, it's certainly understandable to be angry. But I feel like there's a lesson in this because it is also, I know this from my own heart, it's easy to get into almost like a feeding frenzy of judgmental and, oh, I saw that come in and, you know, and then kind of painting the whole ministry or anything he's ever been involved in and everybody's with the same brush. And it's easy for our hearts to go to gossip over grieving. And so I just think there's a lesson in there that when someone falls, rather than kind of like, hey, did you hear about or try to derive all these, well, you know, I saw it coming because, you know, whatever. Or some high-profile person. Let's, let's follow Saul's or Samuel's example here. Grieve, mourn, mourn for them, mourn for the victims. If there are victims, there always are victims when someone falls that are in their life. Mourn for them, mourn for their family. And for the people in the ministry who suddenly are maybe devastated by that, mourn for them. Amen? Amen. Let's do that. Samuel mourns, <clears throat> mourns for Saul. But then God says to him, fill your horn with oil and go. Time, how long are you going to mourn? Time to go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. Now, God's not telling Samuel to lie. He's taking a heifer. He's going to offer a sacrifice. But he's not necessarily disclosing everything 
because Saul really would kill him. That's where Saul's at at this point. Verse 4, Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? Apparently, Samuel had some weight. So when he comes, like, are we in trouble? Samuel said, peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Now, if you remember, Saul was an impressive looking dude. I mean, he was taller than everybody, better looking than everybody, stronger than everybody. And it's like, okay, and this is the guy that first person anointed as king. He looked the part. He looked the part. So when Jesse's sons come to him in birth order, the firstborn, Eliab, comes and he's tall and he's strong and he's good looking and he's mighty. And, he's, and Samuel's like, okay, the search is over. Get the oil out. This is the guy. This must be the guy. But God says, no, I have not chosen him. So son number two comes and stands before Samuel. And the Lord says, no, not the one. Number three, number four, until all seven sons have stood before Samuel. And the Lord says, no, 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 no. Verse 11. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? (laughs) <laughs> Think about it. The sac- they just sacrificed. David's not even at the sacrifice. He's way out there. Are all your sons here? And Jesse said, there remains yet the youngest. But behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he, David, was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. I want to read verse 14. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. Three very simple points I want to derive from this chapter. The first one coming straight from the chapter. Man looks on the outward, but God looks on the heart. If you have ever read or seen any version of Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice, there's a line in our favorite version, which is in the book, As Elizabeth Bennet is beginning to realize she may have misjudged Darcy and Wickham. And she says to her sister, one has all the goodness and the other all the appearance of it. Appearances can be deceptive. Some people people look really Like, you know, a mess. But their hearts are gold. 
They, they look rough on the other side. We had a friend on Long Island, and uh, I won't go into how we, but he looked rough. He looked mean. The reason I say that is because in the church he was in before, the guy, the pastor actually called him out in a sermon and said, don't look like him. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. That's why he ended up coming to our church. Because the point is, be like him. He had a heart of gold, but he had this rugged face and this, you know, and he was in a lot of pain. So he didn't always beam with big smiles, but he had a heart of gold. Some people are like that. Like, huh. Some people look so good on the outside, but really be bad on the inside. On the outside, they're charming and kind, empathetic and charismatic and whatever. But on the inside, there's something very different. And it's what's on the inside that matters. Because that's who we really are. We are who we are on the inside, not just what is showing on the outside. The, here's the problem. Here's the problem. I can't see into your heart. You can't see into my heart. We really can't. We really can't. Jesus said we're to know one another by our fruit so we can look at the fruit of a life and assess the character of a person. And Jesus said that's a, that's a far better way of assessing the fruit, not the gifts. But you know what? Even then, there are people who can put up a good front for a long, long time. God doesn't look on the outward. He doesn't have the problem we have. He looks on the inward. He looks on the heart. He assesses a man or a woman by what's on the inside, not the outside. He sees every impulse of our hearts, every impulse, every desire, every motive, every secret, every hypocrisy, every insecurity, every fear. He sees the noble aspirations we have to be loving, kind, compassionate. He sees the dark thoughts, the unloving impulses, the selfish motivations. He sees it all. Eliab was an impressive-looking man on the outside. Now, on the inside, we're going to see clues that he wasn't such a great guy. He was quick to accuse David, quick to despise David, Quick to quake in fear when a, a real threat came in the form of Goliath. But we're getting ahead of the story here. David was not a perfect man. He had flaws. But as David walked and sat and worked in the quiet fields tending sheep, as he sat on the hill at night watching and protecting the sheep, God saw his heart. He watched as David sang songs of worship and wrote songs of praise to his God. He saw the courage and the faith that rose up in David when a lion and a, and a, a bear attacked the sheep, and David killed them both with his hands. He saw the courage, but he also saw the faith. He saw the loyalty and the humility that was in this man's heart. He saw a shepherd's heart. And we're going to come back to that in a few minutes. God saw a man who loved and trusted him, and God saw a man he could trust with the throne. I listened to nearly two hours of, uh, and I don't know why I did this, but 
nearly two hours of a report, uh, the ultimate report on Ravi Zacharias, done by an independent group. Um, three years ago, uh, Ravi Zacharias died from cancer. If you know him, uh, or if you don't know him, he was an internationally known uh, apologist, great thinker, great speaker, known, remembered as a kind, loving, faith-filled Christian, and a defender of the faith. That's what he was remembered as. Until the darker side of his life was revealed. As I listened to this report uh, about the predatory ways that he abused and manipulated women, even, even working to destroy the lives of a husband and wife who came out to speak the truth, used the power he had in his position to, to literally for a season destroy their reputations, and how he completely deceived the people closest to him. Right up to the moment he died. He hid it from people really well. Right up to the day he died. But here's the thing. God saw it all. Now the world sees it, but God saw it all. If Eliab had been given the kingship... He would have had the power to fulfill all the darker impulses of his heart. Power gives a bad person the ability to do more evil. Man looks on the outward, but God looks on the heart. So here's, here's the take home. Be honest with God. Let God do the work in your heart. Don't, don't expend tons of energy to perfect your Christian image under the pretense that if I'm doing this and doing that publicly, then what I'm doing privately doesn't matter. It matters more. It matters more. Here's an image for us. When we're Christians who say, you know, and live one way in front of people and another way behind closed doors. We're kind of like that little baby who thinks that when they cover their eyes, mom and dad can't see them. Peekaboo. They have no idea that we're sitting there looking at them. Now you tell me, did I just disappear? That's what we're doing when we're living one way in front of people and another way in private. We're playing peekaboo with God. He sees our hearts. He, sees you. he knows your heart better than you know your heart. Better than I know my heart. So walk in the light. Let God shine the light of your heart and be honest with God. You know what? I, I, man, I, I, I'm getting angry at times. Would you forgive me? I'm struggling with... with with this particular sin of, of, of coveting what someone else has. Whatever the sin might be, be honest with God. We are all flawed and imperfect. We're saved only by the mercies of God, cleansed only by the blood of Christ. But God's work in our hearts is real when we're real with God. When we're transparent with God and seek to be honest 
with people. Second point, God loves to use people that other people think are unusable. God loves it. So we're going to learn as we go on that David's brothers despised him as useless for anything other than the menial jobs. His father didn't even offer to call him in. Call your sons. Here's my seven sons. Do you have any other sons? Like, he's, you can imagine him being left out of the family photo because he's out watching the sheep. <clears throat> he seemed to think like, man, if my older, more impressive sons are not going to be the one to be king, there's no way David's going to be the one. He's the least of the lot. He's unusable to God. He's watching sheep. That's the lowest job. That's the most menial job. I want to just say, and we're going to see this as we unpack David's life more. David is such a beautiful foreshadowing of Jesus. He really is. <clears throat> you see, Jesus was also written off by the important people. He was written off as uneducated. He was an, written off as an imposter, a blasphemer. If he was real... If Jesus was real, if he was really from God and he was really a teacher from God, we'd be the first ones to listen to him. None of us are listening to him, therefore, they wrote him off. They had Jesus crucified in order to rid the world of him. God had Jesus crucified in order to save the world through him. He was the stone the builders rejected. Can't use that. God said, that's going to be my chief cornerstone. God loves to use the people people say are unusable. And God loves to do that with us, too. This, this isn't just a Jesus and David thing. 1 Corinthians 1 has this amazing place where Paul lists all, the, all of our qualifications. You want to write a resume for your next job? Here's what Paul writes your resume to look like. God chose the foolish things, the weak things, the lowly things, the despised things, to confound the wise and the strong and the boasting. And then he tops it all off. He says, he chose the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Put that on your resume. Personal strengths, foolishness, weakness. Uh, despised, lowly, don't exist, <laughs> are not. I don't know how you put that on there. But that's, that's the reason God does that is he doesn't want us boasting about ourselves. He wants us to boast in the Lord. This is God working in me, through me. He can do amazing things. So I want to encourage every one of you. God can use your life to make an eternal difference. Not just a, oh, you know, you, you bless somebody in some way. To make an eternal difference. Do you believe that? Do I believe that? I want to stir up our faith because God, that's what he loves to do. He wants to use us not so that we boast, but so that we boast in him. This is God. Now, how does he do that? He can use you to, to lead a coworker to faith or a family member to faith in Christ or to encourage someone who's ready to throw in the towel. What's it worth if somebody is ready to throw in the towel? ready to give up, ready to call it quits, maybe read away, ready to walk away from their faith. What's it worth if you come along 
and speak a word that encourages them to keep going, to keep believing, that lifts their eyes up to see God in the midst of a hard situation? What's that worth? What difference does that make? It can make all the difference in the world. To love that lonely person right into the kingdom. To bind up the wounds of the brokenhearted. I don't know how God wants to use you, but I don't know how God is using you, but he is. There's not a person in this room I'm looking at. It's like, well, God can't use you. God can't use you. Not a person. Please don't believe that. Please don't think that. Believe that God is using your life and has used your life and will use your life. And here is what I want you to believe. Please believe this. You cannot be too small for God to use. You cannot be too weak. You cannot be too timid. You cannot be too poor. You can't be too ineloquent. You can't be too untalented for God to use. We can be too big for God to use. We can be too much of ourselves, but we can't be too small for God to use. And by the way, somebody that is, you know, uh, God has blessed them with uh, massive resources and all kinds of things. As long as their heart is right with God, that's great. But it's not the things that make them usable to God. David's going to be a mighty warrior. But God loves to use the people that people think are unusable. Final point here. God uses our unique life experiences to equip us for his service. Jesse answers, do you have any other sons? Yeah, yeah, I got one more. He's out in the fields tending the sheep. Meaning, that's all he's good for. He's out of the running to be king. Those fields and those sheep to Jesse represented his lack of qualification to be anything other than just tending the sheep. It's, it was a despised job. But those fields and those sheep were God's training ground for David to become the kind of king God was looking for. God used that season to shape David into the best king who's ever lived apart from Jesus Christ. And so powerful is David's legacy. Think about this. Think about the power of David's legacy is so great that forever it says Jesus will sit on the throne of David. Now David is infinitely less than Jesus. But God is saying, I'm honoring that man I'm honoring him by calling the throne Jesus will rule from for all of eternity, the throne of David. Why? Because it said this imperfect, flawed man had a heart after God. And it was as David tended sheep that he learned about leading people. He learned about the shepherd heart of God. As he's sitting on the hill tending the sheep, he realized, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He realized, as he writes in Psalm 100, we are the sheep of his pastures. 
God takes care of his people like I'm taking care of these sheep. He leads us to food and water. He provides for us the way that I'm providing for these sheep. He protects us the way I'm ready to lay my life down to protect them. He chases after us when we wander and we stray. God has the heart of a shepherd. Is it any wonder Jesus said, I am the good shepherd? David was a picture of a king who was a good shepherd. So David was preparing, or God was preparing David for a massive job in a lowly job. He was shaping him for prominence in a place of obscurity. He was testing David's faithfulness in big things by watching how he dealt with little things. So as we close this morning, does God have you in a place where you feel like, I'm not usable to God in this place? I don't understand this season. I don't know why I'm in this field of obscurity. Are you in a situation you, you can't possibly see? How can God use this? And how can God use me for his purposes? I want to encourage you to be a David in that place. Be faithful. Whatever, wherever you are right now, whatever season God has you, whatever field God has you on, whatever sheep he has you tending, be faithful there. Be faithful. Serve the Lord faithfully and do whatever your hand finds to do with all your heart. Because it may well be. In fact, it probably is. In fact, it almost definitely is. In fact, it definitely is. God is using this season to shape you for the next season. He's using you in this assignment to prepare you for the next. And if you let it, he will use this season to tune your heart to his. And that's worth so much. I want us to take a moment um, before the Lord. I ask Kirk to come up and um, the band, actually, because we're going to close with that new song we sang today in a few minutes. But before we do, I want, I, want, I want to give opportunity for each of us to take this message and mix it with faith personally and let God speak to our hearts. David had no idea what God had in store for him when he was summoned back to the house. God was about to reveal to him the big purpose of his life, the big assignment. David didn't know that. David had no idea. As Saul, I mean, as Samuel anointed David, it's interesting that the Bible says the Spirit of God rushed upon David, empowering him in a fresh way for the next assignment. It's also, I think, instructive that at the same time it said the Spirit of God departed from Saul. It's the tragic story of a man who's moving away from God. And when you move away from God, you're moving towards all the things that destroy and eat up life. David was moving towards God. Saul's heart was moving towards darkness. So the encouragement for us with faith is to move towards the Lord this morning. 
Move towards God with faith. Whatever season you're in, whatever you're facing, whatever situation might be in front of you, move towards God with it. That's the important thing. That's the important thing. Maybe you're struggling in some particular area. Move towards God with that. If you move away from God, somebody said the other day, darkness is the absence of light. Evil is the absence of God. I think that's true. Evil is just the result of moving away from God. Moving towards God brings goodness and light and peace and purpose.